Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second part of our conversation about Elaine May, badass woman director. Um, when we last left off, I literally cut it off where um, I was talking about uh, Mikey and Nikki and uh, the performances by Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. And I was transitioning into, at that moment, I was going to be transitioning into talking about Elaine May's directorial style within Mikey and Nikki. So I literally cut this thing off and I'm going to go ahead and bring you right into it. So you're going to hear a couple of extra seconds from the last conversation just to reacquaint you and then we'll head right back into that conversation proper and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this part. Art. Thank you so much. Go head to head, but it's not it's not just amazing in in regards to in regards to just the acting, but it's how Elaine May has managed to construct the story and construct the movie. It she's managed to take these things and coalesce them or merge them together in like you know inform genre acting directing and made a cohesive film like it's one thing to say that you know Mikey and Nikki is this great like this great performance piece but like like Cassavetes there's this there's this there's this thing that I think that like a lot of the criticism leveled at Cassavetes is that he's not He's not a formalist. He doesn't do a lot with form and story structure. I mean, it's just literally, uh, it's literally like a slice of life. But here they manage, it manages to be both that and a, a story to be told um, because of the framework in which she works in. But she still manages to guide it a lot more than say Cassavetes does with the most unwieldy of his films and you know like saying a Cassavetes film is unwieldy is just like that's like somebody breathing air it's just that's what it is that's what that's what his films are to a great extent um but yeah I mean it's but it's like a respect like I think that between the two the big the big takeaway I get from both of these films is that they're immaculately directed and written and that has to do with 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 her with Elaine May and how she's able to I think what ultimately is a through line with all of her work is she's fascinated by these imperfect men like every single one of her films are a dissection of an imperfect man or imperfect men uh, and men not only just imperfect men but imperfect men that do not understand that they're imperfect um, Henry uh, Henry Graham in A New Leaf finds that there is nothing wrong with the way that he lives his life finds that there's nothing wrong with uh, with the notion that he's going to get married and then ultimately kill his wife um mikey and nikki both of them are men who have no problems with crime but also they find that all of the shit that they have done in their life is okay like they they are vehemently against each other in the wrong that each other has done but they're unable to they're unable to 
recognize that they themselves at their core are like shitty human beings and ultimately what each one of them has done is like you know shows just what kind of a fractured human beings they are but they don't recognize it and that ultimately is like between these two i mean uh, and i mean we could we'll get into ishtar and those two fucking idiots in that movie and then also charles groden's character who is like you, you like part of the plot of of the heartbreak kid is the fact that he's a fucking moron just kind of like very similar to a new leaf uh and how imperfect they, he is but what's wonderful is that she like she dissects these men but she doesn't there is there's just this hard gaze at them and it's not a critique it's literally looking at them and say these are these people and whether you like it or not, these are these people and I'm going to show you them in their element and I'm going to show some that change, some that don't. And ultimately, where they land is so, so, so interesting and different than what you're used to in mainstream films. And all of these films were studio produced. And now we get to the fun stuff, which is remaking both a new leaf and Mikey and Nikki. So we're going to start off with a new leaf since it was the first film. And I thought a lot about this and it's a tricky thing to remake something like to me, at least to remake something that shouldn't really be remade. But if we are going to do it, um, this is what I personally thought would be the way. No, I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this, but I don't care at this point because I feel like it's the perfect way to cast it. Um, let's go ahead and start off with a writer-director. Um, you need somebody who somebody who ultimately is, understands both like comedy and the darker nature of drama and isn't afraid to... To go there, and I wanted somebody who, like you may, Elaine may, may have been maligned, uh, may have been maligned recently for things that are possibly in her control or out of her control. But like her male counterparts would have not given and gotten an, uh, like half is the half the shit that she's gotten recently, um, if they had gone through similar things, if at all, um, and. I wanted somebody who was a triple threat, who was a writer, director, and actor. So, <laughs> for the for the writer, director, and also the for the role of Henrietta, um, I chose. I went with Lena Dunham, which I think is like a perfect melding because I feel like A New Leaf is a film that she would either love or loves because I feel like a lot of a lot of girls and a lot of tiny furniture has like an Elaine May spirit to it and one of the things that we didn't talk about with Elaine May and her performance as Henrietta is just how how unfettered it is about or how unglamorous it is it's it she does not she is not vain in any way shape or form in regards to this like in regards to the performance she 
And I feel like Lena Dunham in a lot of ways brings that like that kind of brave and boldness to the to her roles. I mean, she never like I feel like Hannah from Girls was never the perfect person and she never claimed to be. And um, I feel like as Henrietta, like it would be perfect for her, like the, the role of Henrietta, because of just how odd and peculiar she she can be on screen um and i think that ultimately her her writing and direction would be really on par with elaine mays and the ability to balance both the light and the dark now um now with henry it was a little bit more difficult because um i'm not sure we have a walter Matthau. like walter Matthau is like one of those guys that they just don't make anymore. They don't make schlubby, sardonic, uh, sardonic comedians. I mean, they do, but none like like Walter Matthau that could ably go between drama and comedy. Um, but eventually, I cited on, uh, I cited on one of the more waspy, like or, you know, white bread. Um, comedic talents that I could I could think like who would be somebody that I could imagine being like basically a New York dilettante and it ultimately sided on Bill Hader like I love Bill Hader I love his performances but he does definitely have this waspy air about him and it just would be perfect like you could see him not understanding what broke meant like what meaning what being poor meant like you could see that coming out of him um there were other choices um i thought paul rudd but paul rudd's a little bit too california if you know what i mean um and i also thought jason bateman but jason bateman has this snark about him that i don't think that is needed with um with henry but so that's why i ultimately landed on bill Hader because i feel like he has that ability to be sardonic but he also has that that air about him that he could be a dilettante um so um harold uh the man's um um henry's manservant played by george rose i thought a lot about this because uh, like Harold in this movie is is like the king of dry wit. I mean, some of the funniest lines come from uh, come from Harold or uh, things that Harold does, uh, and a lot of it is set up because of his character. There's a moment where things continue to crash, um, like in the background, and uh, it's a lot having to do with the way that George Rose delivers things at the beginning. That 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 particular piece of business pays off so so handsomely in the movie um i thought a lot about this and the thing is is that you need to go with an actor that's not a comedian somebody who is just no known for dramas um and i sided on because i felt like i wanted to see these two interact i sided on gary oldman <laughs> like the thought of Bill Bill Pullman, uh, Bill Hader and Gary Oldman interacting and Gary Oldman being basically Alfred uh, uh, to uh, to the real life Bruce Wayne, whose parents were never shot <laughs> in Henry um, is like the perfect combination um, runner. Another runner up was Ian McKellen. Like you could do either or. But I feel like there's something about Gary Oldman's self-seriousness 
um, in most of his roles. And that's not that's not dogging on 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 Gary Oldman. It's just naturally that's just kind of like where he comes from that. I feel like he would love to, as the British say, take the piss um, in a role like this, but still manage it to be play it completely straight. Um, the next one was Andy McPherson, played by Jack Weston. Uh, the great, great Jack Weston, the late, the late, great Jack Weston, unfortunately. And I feel like, like it was like, to me, there was one choice. Like it was Patton Oswald. I just, I don't know why, but the thought, because a lot of where the comp, like where the, where the, the kind of comedy comes from in a new leaf between, uh, between McPherson and Henry is that they are such opposites. Like they visually look different, but then they're also, uh, they're very different personality types. And I feel like Hader and Patton Oswald, uh, like are different, but I feel like I could see them going off against one another and facing off against one another. And, and just the thought of Patton Oswald doing some of the shit that Jack Weston did, or like some of the set pieces and the way that they build would be like, I, I feel like it's been too long since we we've had Patton Oswalt in in a performance like he's like guested on TV shows and stuff, but an actual movie with him in it, it would be a welcome, welcome surprise. I really honestly would love to see that um, a character that we didn't mention because it's such a great like little piece, which is Uncle Harry, who's played by James Coco. And he's uh, like he's a, a character that puts things into action like he's very much a story trope but played by James Coco it's such a it's such a revealing and funny performance and it informs so much of what happens in the next half of the film that you like it's a very special performance and the person that I thought of to replace James Coco was the one and only John Waters. Like there's something about John Waters that I would feel would be perfect for this role. Um, there's this like, it's this like lighter than air wit that John, the, that John Waters has. And I think he would just relish playing what is ostensibly another dilettante, uh, but a very rich dilettante, um, and a very hedonistic dilettante. Uh, it would be just perfect. Um, uh, Beckett, uh, who is the accountant that really sets the movie in motion, um, who is played by William Renfeld, who is just a great, like he has this great comic and dramatic aura about him. And, um, the way that he plays it so straight faced and not and just kind of just delivering this message and trying to stay on task and trying to not suffer any fools, even though the biggest fool is in front of him, um, is just comic perfection. And I feel like if you're going to have somebody come in and do a one uh, like a one and done, like hit it out of the park, I want to see Kumail Nanjani like play this role. And just have him come in and kill it because his deadpan, I feel, is better than anybody's deadpan currently working. Like, he has that ability to be perfectly timed, like these perfectly timed lines. And the work between him and Hater would be just perfection. It would be like an orchestra. Uh, and I could not, I could not imagine anybody else in that role. Um, and then, um, 
the role of Mrs. Taggart, another role that I feel should not be like I purposely didn't discuss, who was played by the great Doris Roberts uh, with this really great like winking moment that still every time I see it makes me fucking laugh like there's no end. You'll know what I'm talking about when you fucking see it. But um, played by the great Doris Roberts and you needed somebody that could play that could play there's two sides to this role and they're two very different sides and you needed somebody who could play both but also I've wanted somebody that was completely unexpected and somebody who I miss on screen even though she is still a she's definitely still a force in Hollywood um I see her a lot at the TCM film festival she's great she's a great she's turned into this great rock on tour um and that's Elena Douglas I just like I miss her in films like I literally like I mean I know that she's been in a lot but I don't feel like she's really been she should have a second part of her career like there's a part of me like just as a side tangent um Ileana Douglas could play like like whenever I see Chelsea Peretti on Brooklyn Nine-Nine I feel like she should have been um, she should have been like, uh, Ileana Douglas should have been Chelsea Peretti's mother in that move in that show. Um, it was actually very disappointing when I realized that it wasn't, but who they got to play her was still good. It just, it wasn't Ileana Douglas. And I, I just feel like giving her this kind of kick-ass like supporting role and where she could just show how great of a comedian she is would just be perfect. Um, and so that rounds out my cast uh, for A New Leaf, if I were producing it and coming in, coming to theaters nowhere in 2019, but sure to make a ton of money. <laughs> and so uh, the next one is remaking uh, Mikey and Nikki. And I had to like this one was tough because they don't make dramas like this anymore. We know that they don't. Uh, I mean, this kind of Cassavetti's uh, like realism is just not in favor anymore. But with that being said, I think that you could make a really, really, really good uh, like crime drama out of this film. Uh, like that would be more framed to modern era than it would be uh, to um, to something from yesteryear. But also keeping in mind that kind of character first uh, and so with that what I um what I did was I was thinking about like a writer director that I'd want to see tackle this but a, a female um a female uh writer director and there was one name that came up one that I feel she's just gonna like when the right pro when she gets attached to the right project and she directs the right like she's given a really nice big budget. I think that we're going to be talking about her in kind of like a similar vein as a Catherine Bigelow, uh, which is Lily Anna uh, Amirpour, uh, who, uh, you know, whose two films, The Bad, The Bad Batch and um, A Girl Walks Home at Night, uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night are two of the best pieces of genre filmmaking that's come out in the last 10 years like like her work there is amazing um especially a girl walks a home uh, walks home alone at night it's just this beautifully stark 
black and white uh, vampire film that if you've not seen it, please, 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 for the love of God, go watch that. And then also, additionally, if you've not seen The Bad Batch, go ahead and fucking watch that movie. That movie is a fucking great piece of post-apocalyptic drama. Um, I feel like she could bring a completely different flavor to this film. Still set it in uh, in Philadelphia. I like I like that it's set in Philly and not in in New York. I think it gives it a different energy or just a different town. It doesn't have to necessarily be Philadelphia, though, for my purposes, I feel like it would like with the casting that I would go with. I'm I definitely would say this is definitely a a, a Philly based f- uh, film for me, um, but you could do it anywhere. Um, but I uh, but not New York. Just don't do New York. Don't do Boston and don't do Los Angeles. Do someplace different. And I feel like. Either either it could be either Philly or I could even see Detroit because of my casting, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So for Mikey, the um, for Mikey the Peter Falk role, um, I decided I decided I needed somebody who um, how can I um, I needed somebody who you liked, but ultimately could do some terrible things and be a terrible person and it not affect you to like it would not affect you they that you could see both the good and the bad ends like you could see the humanity in the person so i ended up wanting john c riley i think that riley at this point has been in comedy landia way too long i think that we need to be reminded of just how good of a dramatic actor he is um and i feel like like the it would just be perfect because i mean i i know john c riley because he was fam- he made he was famous for me because pt anderson made him famous and that was all dramatic work and even before then like in the in the 80s i mean he's he's in casualties of war like he's in um one of my favorite gangster films of all time state of grace and in these movies he plays this very specific type of person that i feel like like what's funny is is that when you like when i think about it it would almost be like an extension of those characters grown up after they had grown up at a certain point and i think that like riley is is due for a super serious role a la you know what he did in uh, we need to talk about kevin uh but but a little bit more front and center now for nikki who's played by John Cassavetes, um, a guy that I feel like has finally started to get his due, but I don't know if everybody really truly understands how much range this man has. Um, And I went with Jeffrey Wright. And the reason why I went with Jeffrey Wright and John C. Riley is because if you're talking about modern-day Philadelphia, you definitely have to talk about race relations i mean it is it is a town that it definitely has it's i would hate to say like racial issues but it has some social issues and if you're going to make a movie in that town or even detroit i feel like part of uh, part of the casting has to reflect that um and i i think that jeffrey wright is also one of the great actors living right now i mean you know, everybody's starting to get notice him, notice him in Westworld. But 
this man has been doing such great work for the last 20 to 30 years. I mean, he's primarily a stage actor. So he's like, I was telling somebody like, it feels like in the best way possible. He, he is like one of like the modern day equivalents of Jason Robards and Jason Robards was an actor who he, he was known as a, as a film actor and people loved him, but he was a legend in theater and Jeffrey Wright is the same way. Jeffrey Wright is a legend in the theater and like, like people who know them in acting circles, respect them, revere them in a very similar way. And I feel like this movie and the way that it would be filmed and directed and shot and written, you would, you would want him as an actor like you would want the both of these two guys you want people who under the microscope you are just enthralled by everything that they do um for the role of kenny the assassin the would-be assassin played by ned Beatty, um i want i wanted jonah hill like i want heavy heavyweight jonah hill I feel like awake with some kind of weird affectation, um, uh, like, like be it a hair or some kind of weird clothing, because like the thing that I know I took away from, from the role of Kenny from, uh, Ned Beatty was like, man, Ned Beatty was a weird dude back in the seventies. <laughs> and I feel like Jonah Hill could take it and run with it. Um, for the role of Sid, who is played by William Hickey, um, I went I went uh, opposite than William Hickey because William Hickey is. I feel like, a na- like I feel like in the best way possible, um, Lakeith Stanfield could just kill that role. It's a, just a it's a three scene role, uh, and he would just kill in it. Um, uh, the role of Resnick. Uh, who was played by Sandy Meisner. Uh, I went I went with the cliche, and I know it's the cliche, but I don't care because I think that um, Lily, if she like if she got to ca- she got to direct this, I feel like she is bold enough to be able to direct him, which is Al Pacino. I don't think that Al Pacino has been directed recently. I feel like Al Pacino has just been doing Al Pacino. Um, now, mind you, I've not seen the Paterno film, Paterno, uh, but um, other than that, I feel like a lot of times Pacino, Pacino is playing Pacino, and I think you need somebody who's either bold enough or like is a legend to get him to get directed, and I think that um, she is bold enough to direct him and direct him into a really great performance. Again, only two scenes. But it needs to land perfectly, and I feel like Pacino is like that guy that could you could bring in 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 two scenes. You know exactly what he's like. You know he'll come in and kill it. But then you add in uh, Amir Poor and her direction, and it would add an extra layer into it. And then finally, the role of Nelly, who we also didn't discuss. Um, it's one of the centerpieces, like her, like when the like Nelly is the long suffering girlfriend of Nikki. Um, and her, like her 15 minute, like set piece is like at the center of the, is that like, is towards the end, like towards the middle of the second act and ends in a lot of ways, it's the heart of the film. And it's something that you don't really realize the first time you watch it. Um, and it's played by Carol Grace, who, 
uh, it's funny to me that it's funny and ironic that that Carol Grace plays this role because she's a Walter Matthau. That's another connective tissue to um, uh, to a new leaf, which is that she's um, she Carol Grace's uh, Walter Matthau's wife was I mean, you know, she was for the, all of his life. Um, she plays Nellie, the, the long suffering girlfriend of John Cassavetes. And you needed somebody who was a little bit younger. Um, and, but somebody who you could see has a well of resentment and power in that resentment. And like, I needed somebody who could, I have looked at it and it's like, it's somebody who could play both. I feel like could play callow and weak, but at a certain moment turns it around and plays plays something a bit harder um, because she's been pushed and broke at a certain point. And I would love to see what Rosario Dawson would do with this role. Like, like the, the back and forth between her, Jeffrey Wright and John C. Riley would be something that I feel like would be special, like extremely special. She, she would not, she would bring a different energy than Carol Grace did, but all the same, it would be electric to watch these three actors for like the 15 to 20 minutes that she's they're in her, her apartment. And it would just be just magnetic and, and electric and wonderful. I'm wonderful in the way that, uh, like, you know, pure cinema is. And when you're transported to some, uh, to a place in a time that you've never been to. And I feel like, like that's ultimately what, what would happen if we, like, if this film would be made by a Liliana, uh, Amirpour. Like, it would just be one of those things where you would just look at it and go, fuck, this is a, like, it would be her truly great piece of cinema, her, like, her, her next level piece of cinema. Uh, coming in 2019 to theaters nowhere. <laughs> um, and that does it for um, Elaine May. I hope that you uh, enjoyed this conversation about her, this two-parter conversation. You can get both of these movies um, very easily, actually, now. Um, as I was explaining before, A New Leaf, uh, there's actually a Blu-ray release from All of Video. It's a great uh, disc with some special features on it. Uh, I strongly recommend that one. Um, Mikey, uh, or I'm sorry, Nikki and Mikey is actually not on disc right now, but... It is available if you have Filmstruck. They actually have it on the Criterion channel right now, which I don't know whether they're going to, like if Criterion is going to turn it into a disc, I would hope to God that they would. It would be amazing if they were able to change this, uh, turn this into a Blu-ray. But if not, no big deal because, I mean, I have my DVD. I hope that somebody picks it up. But it is readily available in a really nice Blu-ray or a really nice um, uh, high-def transfer on film on Filmstruck. So you just go there, go to their uh, Criterion page, and you'll find it there. Um, if you subscribe, if you don't, I think that they always, they have like these deals, these two weeks free or a week free to try out, and you can always give it a shot because this one is definitely, they're both definitely worth it. Um, you can reach us on three different social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Uh, they're all the same handle. Uh, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod, the B movie pod, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Uh, so again, 
the letter B, the word movie, and the word pod. Uh, you can follow us there. If you follow us on the Letterbox account, you'll actually get to know a little bit in advance what we're actually planning on on doing next on our next episode. So if you want to bulk up uh, and you want to be able to know what we're actually watching, so you can follow along with us at, not before the the episodes are downloaded, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, you can you can follow you can watch along with us, and then when the episodes come, you're not behind on what movies you want to watch. Uh, just go ahead and subscribe to the um subscribe to the uh the letterbox page instagram we're always posting random uh you know images and then twitter um twitter we've been kind of a little bit we've been a little bit remiss we don't talk very much on twitter we're just kind of staying away from that dumpster fire other than when to post when the episodes are released because we really don't have a a solid release schedule yet um as you probably will tell that this these episodes were uh posted back to back uh literally within a few hours of an, of each other if not uh, the same day and um part of that is to give you the accessibility to the two episodes but also uh because you know we don't have a formalized schedule just yet but we're working on that so you can always want, uh, follow us on all those social media pages. You can also look at um, my written work and the written work of my colleagues on themovieisle.com. Uh, that is the website that I'm the editor-in-chief and run. Um, I'm also a writer on there. So if you want to uh, like read any of, you want to read the written content that goes along that is analogous to this site, uh, to this podcast, but also uh, just in general, we do some great stuff there. Uh, we've got a lot of writers. We're actually uh, we're actually bringing on a new writer. Um, her name is Olivia, and she's actually going to be on our next podcast. So you have to stay tuned for that. Uh, so, but with that, guys, thank you so much. Your listenership uh, is what drives this. So uh, as you're listening to this, I just want to thank you guys personally for going on this strange and wonderful journey that we do on the B Movie Podcast. And I hope that you guys have liked the adjusted format. If not. I'm really sorry, guys, and it's just the way that it works. So we'll be back next week uh, with a brand new double feature. If uh, you want to know what that double feature is in advance, like I said, go ahead and go on to letterbox.com and look for us. Uh, and until next time, talk to you soon.